Hey guys and gals, Cable here. This week's podcast brought to you once again by my friends over at iSocial Boost. You know, I uh, I already had my Lone Star Outdoors show page pretty squared away, but iSocial Boost guys came to me and said, hey, we've got this product that really can help out people looking to make a name for themselves or grow their brand in the outdoor industry. So I said, you know what? We'll start a new page. And before we promote it, I will determine if iSocial Boost really works. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> it passed with flying colors. My new page, A Hunter's Legacy, has over 10,200 followers. I, I literally post a couple times a week. Don't do re- really anything to manage it other than just put interesting content out there. And iSocial Boost does the rest. It, it targets people who have the same interest by using hashtags and other people that you want to follow. So like, Jim Shockey, or you use the hashtag deer hunting or big game uh, hunting, all those things. So you find people who have these like interests, and iSocial Boost does the rest. Plus, you can use my promo code, and this is the most important thing uh, Lone Star. Use that promo code. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com, and you'll get 80% off your first week with no strings attached. So use it for a week. If you don't see the kind of growth that you want or expect, then cancel no strings attached. That is literally a $5 investment on yourself. Check it out, isocialboost.com. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off more than I could chew But through it all, when there was dark Good morning, good morning, good morning. Frank Sinatra, My Way. One of my all-time favorite tunes there. Kicking things off for us on episode 464 of the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm your host, Cable Smith. And I'll tell you that uh, 2018 was an epic year. I did things my way. (laughs) Sometimes uh, that was for better, sometimes for worse. But if you are true to yourself, at the end of the year... At the end of anything, really, if you can look in the mirror and know that, hey, you gave it everything you had, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't, and that goes for hunting and just life in general, uh, then you've succeeded. And so uh, I'm looking forward to another great year in 2019. Maybe uh, I'll do it my way. Maybe I'll I'll take some friendly advice from uh, other folks whose opinions I'd trust. Who knows? But I know this. It's going to be epic. And I'm glad that you're here to be a part of it. So, with that being said, there's no place I'd rather be than talking hunting. Fishing the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks. You know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up thermos, the one that Grandpappy passed down. Might be a green Stanley if it's like mine, and it probably has mud caked on it from the 2012 duck season. Uh, because, hell, whoever washes the outside of a thermos anyway, right? Nah, it adds character. Actually, don't wash out the inside either. What does a little old coffee do? I think it, it's like uh, an old skillet, you know? The more you fry stuff in it, the more character that it has. So, pour yourself another cup, because we're ready to rock and roll off the top. Uh, I'm actually going to share with you an experience that I'm not too proud of. <laughs> but... It had a happy ending, 
Getting to the happy ending, however, was quite the rodeo uh, as I took my entire family deer hunting two weeks ago. <laughs> the girls were wearing my rear end out about taking them deer hunting. I took Henry on his first deer hunt this year. We shot a nice nine-point together. Uh, he's not He wasn't pulling the trigger. He's still shooting his red rider. But uh, they were insanely jealous that their brother got to do that with dad. So loaded up the whole family and wanted to see if we could take a doe as a family, all five of us sitting in the blind together. Well, I'm sure you can imagine that with two four-year-olds, a six-year-old, and the wife in the blind with me, well, you'll just have to tune in to uh, find out how that thing played out because it was rowdy, uh, that is for sure. Uh, after that, if you've been following along in the kind of the uh, outdoor news realm, you might have seen that Cabela's is putting out a self-inflicted dumpster fire of epic proportions, and um, this stems from a pro staffer, a, a gal by the name of Jeanette Hall, who went to renew her contract, or basically Cabela sent her a, a pro staff renewal contract for 2019, and in the contract, it said specifically, do not post pictures of exotic trophies or African safaris. Any animals you've harvested in those situations, do not post them on your social media uh, accounts. Are you kidding me? Have you ever been inside a Cabela's? There's more mounts in there than a Smithsonian Museum. It's absolutely incredible. That's one of the reasons why people go to Cabela's is to see all of the incredible taxidermy and that includes both foreign and domestic exotic and native so this didn't sit well with uh Jeanette and she basically told him nah I'm not doing that and I'm not renewing my contract well it's just one pro staffer right but when that goes public and you see well uh, the world's self-proclaimed foremost outfitter take that stance against trophy hunting <laughs> oh man Bad, bad move by Cabela's. And this isn't, I mean, this isn't made up. She actually has the contract that was sent to her. It's all over social media. You can find it. Uh, I've posted it on my social media outlets as well. So we'll visit with Jeanette here momentarily. Uh, certainly looking forward to that. Then we'll be joined by Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason. Uh, he just shot a monster mule deer out in West Texas. We'll hear how that hunt went down. I'm insanely jealous. I've... Gosh, I've spent a lot of time and money, uh, both on public and private land, chasing those damn mule deer around. And they call them the gray ghost for a reason. I've shot one dink on public land, uh, three by, what I'm looking at him right now in the trophy room. He is a three by three. He's a trophy to me because I shot him at 10,000 feet, but I cannot, no matter what I do, get on a big mule deer. I've tried in West Texas with an outfitter. I've leased a place in the Texas panhandle. None of it has panned out for me. Uh, but Corey shot a giant. I want to hear all about that. And I'll be honest, a little jealous, but happy for Corey. Then uh, we'll get into the upcoming convention, Mogambo, which is coming up next week in downtown Dallas. Hope to see everybody out there. Also, DSC's new conservation advisory board and bears, 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 bears. They can't get out of the news for one reason or another. Uh, but there is an update coming out of British Columbia as an outfitter, is suing the government after the uh, grizzly ban. So 
interesting stuff there. We'll see how that all plays out, but uh, Corey will fill us in on the latest regarding that situation. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. couple other things to take care of here. I've got a box of Kent Fastiel number threes, uh, three-inch number threes, and we're going to give these away here today. Um, everyone's eligible to enter. All you have to do is email the word. Let's say wood duck. I shot a nice wood duck this week, uh, the first one I've shot this season. Beautiful Drake. Bell brought it back, and I was like, man, I really should mount that sucker, but there were three guys shooting. I know I hit the duck, but hey, they probably hit it as well, and uh, it's got to be clean for me to put it on the wall. It can't just be one that I was spraying and praying at, you know? So anyway, tasted good. <laughs> That's for sure. But uh, email the word wood duck to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. Up next, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly from the entire Smith family's recent trip to the Dealey's. <laughs> I'm sure some of the parents out there can relate. At least I hope so. We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cause I don't like to drink alone at all. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy, this is Robert Earl Keen, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors Show. They only pay me nickels and dimes in a game that I can never win. Since the coming on of the sun and brother again. That's the coming home of the sun and brother again. One of my favorites from our very own Robert Earl Keane bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you so much for being here as it truly is a great time to be alive in the great outdoors. You know what? I say that like every week, but man, it's always a great time to be an outdoorsman or woman because there's always something to chase with a gun, a bow, or a rod and reel. And, uh, you know, seasons come and go, but that just means another one is about to open up. Anyway, I've got an interesting slash embarrassing uh, story to share with you here in just a second. But before I spill my guts, this segment is proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. Check out the Big Chingone, and that's uh, where this story is going anyway. But uh, I had all three kids and the wife, that's all five of us, five chairs, 
gun, camera, everything in the blind with us last weekend when I took, uh, Henry had been deer hunting with me before, but the girls, God, they were wearing me out uh, about taking them on a deer hunt. They knew big brother got to go and they wanted to see what it was all about. So I said, okay, you know, luckily we have a big chingo, plenty of room. It is the epitome of a family friendly blind. Check it out. You can find the big chingone at allseasonsfeeders.com. <laughs> With that being said, um, I don't think you, you know, when you watch outdoor television, you oftentimes don't get this side of the story, the crazy crap that happens that's just left on the cutting room floor. Uh, but I'm pretty transparent in what I do and, and how I've built this show and, uh, you know, try to be as honest as possible. And we had one of those not-so-proud moments in the deer blind. The kids didn't know about it, but it, long story short, like I said, the girls were wearing me out. Here we were, our last opportunity before the uh, the North Zone closed last weekend. So we couldn't leave on Friday because the girls had a soccer game at like 11.30 on Saturday morning. Frankie and Stella just turned four. So this is their indoor soccer league. And I'm the assistant coach. I'm there on weekends that I'm in town. And one of them, and their personalities are so different. Stella is kind of timid in life in general. And Frankie's a real go-getter, tenacious personality. But it's totally different on the soccer field. Stella is just kicking ass all over the place. She scored a goal this last week. And Frankie literally is looking over at me, trying to hold back tears the whole time she's on the field. So it's a total S show. They play their game, and we fly home, grab the dog, switch cars, get in the truck, which was already packed, and head the you know two hours to the lease. Get there, everyone puts on their camo, and we climb in the Big Chingon, uh, probably right about four o'clock. Feeder goes off at four thirty, and I'm not kidding you, it was like a herd of elephants was in that damn blind. They the kids were so loud, didn't have any concept of hey, you got to be quiet when we're deer hunting, you know, use your whispering voice. No, that's not a thing. You can look at them right in the face and say it to them, and they blink and nod their head. Two seconds later, they're back to talking in their normal voice. It's just like uh, they don't get it. But, of course, they're four, and Henry just turned six. Mama's in there, too, taking in the whole the whole ordeal. And, and she's like, how in the world are any deer going to come in? You know, the feeder is 100 yards away, but still. Um, I was like, well, we're just going to leave all the windows closed. And it was cold. It was two weekends ago. It was really cold. Temperatures in the 30s for sure. Um, and uh, so left the windows up. And I, I literally, with all of the, the talking, all of the moving around, you've got three kids shuffling their chairs, getting up, saying, I want to sit in your lap, Dad. No, now I want to sit in your lap, Mom. Walking around, talking to each other. And then the snacks. Oh, my God, the snacks. Bags of goldfish crinkling, you know. I mean, it's just nonstop. That kind of crap. For an hour. Five o'clock rolls around. The feeder has gone off. And I'm just like, you know what? I think we're wasting our time. Maybe just dad and the girls will come sit on the blind tomorrow. And look up and all of a sudden, there's like six does making their way to the feeder. Couldn't believe it. And before it was all said and done, we had 12 does either at the feeder or in the field and, you know, I I purposely forgot headphones. I didn't tell my wife that, but I was like, there's no way I'm going to have all five of us try to be putting headphones on as I'm taking the shot. They're not going to be able to hear what I'm saying. 
So I purposely left those, and we just did the you're going to have to cover your ears when dad says trick. And pick out a nice, mature doe. Doesn't appear to be pregnant. Boom. Lay the was actually shooting the Mossberg 270 because the uh, I just put a new scope on the Horizon and haven't sighted it in yet. But the 270 thumps her, and it's like I, I totally choked on the shot. I got all this pressure. For me, I can go anywhere in the world and shoot anything and make a good shot, and you get your wife and kids in the blind, and it's like Dad's got to perform all of a sudden. Don't want to let these kids down. <laughs> and I shot the deer in the guts, just like – not quite in the intestines, and, and and I know because my wife's like, what is that red stuff hanging out? And the diaphragm, the deer's diaphragm, literally was hanging out its side as it ran off. So I saw where the deer bedded down, and, you know, clearly it had gone to die. My hang-up as a father at this point was, this is the girl's first time to deer hunt. Henry's only went with me opening weekend, and I want the experience to be as positive as possible. I don't want to have to do this deal of, well, we've got to let the deer lay overnight, and then what if coyotes find it? We've got a ton of coyotes out there, and then we walk up on this deer tomorrow, and there's just a, a half of it's gone. So I made the decision to get down out of the blind, told my wife, I was like, y'all can get out of the blind, but stay stay here. I'm going to go down to the creek towards where, where the doe bedded down. And I get over there, and they can't see me at this point. Um, the doe jumps up, I shoot her again and it's like, she's running, but she's 30 yards away. I can see she's mortally wounded, <laughs> blow her leg off. Well, it was dangling there. She falls down, making all kind of noise. Have to shoot her again. Literally shot her three times. And this doe was a hundred yards away. So that tells you, you know, could shoot a wildebeest at 500 yards in Africa. Can't shoot a damn doe with the kids in the blind at a hundred yards. So, oh man i uh get it i drag it out from it's literally dies right next to the creek drag it up put it in a nice area grass cover up all the blood tuck that dangling leg up underneath it and have it all posed for a picture by the time the wife and kids even get down there and she kind of said under your breath do you always have to shoot them three times i was just like no honey that's just a special thing i do for you so (laughs) we get the toe uh, we get it, you know, get the kids around. We take a picture. The girls touch it, and they call it a lady deer. Uh, the girls do. It was another whole can of worms, an interesting concept to try to get the girls to understand that we can shoot lady deer. We don't shoot mama deer if they have a little one with them, but sometimes we do shoot lady deer for the freezer, or if we have too many, it's okay to take them out. Uh, so they, they were like, oh yeah, okay. Well, now we got all this deer meat. And so they were real excited. The kids all love venison. High fives. Way to go, dad. You're a superhero. Uh, they had no idea of the absolute calamity that dad had made of the whole deal. So all's well that ends well. Got the deer quartered up and in the cooler that night, uh, kids we built a fire at the camp there. And I think them and mama were playing shoots and ladders or Candyland or something while I was butchering the deer, let the kids stay up entirely too late, and they loved every second of it. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was a great experience for them. And even though I was less than perfect, uh, I feel like they're going to want to come back to deer camp as soon as possible. 
Now, whether Mama wants to come with them, I don't really know. That's not uh, that's not her bag. But I think as the kids get older, and if they want to keep coming to deer camp, I think she's going to become more and more interested in it as well. That's my hope anyway. But there you have it, the good, the bad, and the ugly of trying to introduce your kids into hunting. It doesn't always go as planned. I envisioned in my head the doe dropping right there by the feeder. And that's what we always want as a hunter is a clean, ethical kill, uh, especially with the little ones and mama watching, you know. Hey, this is what dad does for a living. Surely he can shoot a doe at 100 yards. (laughs) One would think, uh, but hey, there you go. If any of y'all have similar stories, love for you to email them in. I might read one or two of them on the air next week uh, because I think as parents, it's the kind of stuff that, you know, a couple weeks later you can look back and laugh at, right? Uh, At least I can have a good sense of humor about it, but... Uh, I, the worst thing that could have happened is if that deer wasn't recovered. And then the twins' first impression of deer hunting is a negative thing. So that disaster was averted. It just turned into a, a little bit more of a rodeo than I anticipated. So if uh, you've got anything similar that's occurred <laughs> taking your kids hunting, things that you might not be too proud of, but but things that you're comfortable enough with sharing, you know, because... If you can't be self-deprecating and, and make fun of yourself at on some level, then you're you're taking life way too seriously. Uh, but if you want to share some of those funny moments, you can email Lone Star Show at gmail.com, and uh, I might read one or two of them on the air. Who knows? Well, that rodeo was proudly brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and Lone Star Beer. The National Beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack on your way to the lease. And remember to celebrate responsibly whether you gut shoot a doe or put your tag on that big trophy buck. It's always a good thing when organic protein goes into the cooler. Lone Star Beer, the National Beer of Texas. We'll be right back with former Cabela's pro staffer Jeanette Hall. Uh, She gave Cabela's the middle finger after they told her to refrain from posting her uh, exotic or African safari photos on her social media accounts. We'll get into that next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. Well, we ran pipe from the creek bed through the woods to the old gray shack. It was worth the trouble to work them shovels for granddaddy's sour mash stand. All the weeds and pecan trees had a secret we all swore to keep. But my granddaddy knew what the law would do. If they ever come snooping around back, Lord, I'm down. 
Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That is Brent Cobb down in the gully. Love that tune there. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We are all set to get into a, a very concerning topic, one that I think has become more and more common within our hunting and outdoor community, one that is pretty alarming, to be honest with you. And uh, we're going to be joined by longtime hunter and former Cabela's pro staffer, Jeanette Hall. But before we get into things with Jeanette, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Check out the new Pulsar Helion Thermal Monocular. It's what I always have in my hunting pack. And whether I'm scouting, whether I am scanning, trying not to blow animals out as I walk to my stand or blind, or if I'm just looking for feral hogs or calling coyotes, I've always got the Helion. It is an invaluable tool. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. And save 20% off your order when you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR when you check out at PulsarNV.com. All right, um, let's bring on our first guest today. She joins us now from somewhere up in Canada, Alberta, I believe. I'm sure she'll fill us in on that. But uh, former Cabela's pro staffer, and that is the key word, former, which we're going to get into right now. It's my pleasure to welcome Jeanette Hall to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. So um, we were talking a little bit off the air. You've lived in Alberta, Canada for about a decade, but you're originally from Tennessee. That's correct. So what uh, enticed you to head north? Outstanding hunting. Um, in Tennessee, yes, there are some nice deer, but you come to Canada and, I mean, there's 150s around every corner. So you actually <laughs> get bored shooting 150s. So I moved up here uh, in search of, of lots of deer and uh, pretty much everything else. So you're a trophy hunter. That's awesome. I, I'm, I make no qualms about it. I like big racks, uh, big bass, you know, and I think that's human nature. So It is. Yeah, yeah you don't really, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to go out in the woods and shoot uh, a yearling animal. That It hasn't reached its potential. There's not enough meat on it. Um, it. That doesn't interest me. And I'm proud to say that I am a trophy hunter because I do go for the elderly animal that's past its prime that has a huge rack on it, and lots of meat. That's the whole name of the game is to fill that freezer up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a misconception is that if you're a trophy hunter, you don't care about the meat. I mean, my family lives off the meat, um, and, uh, you know, the, the trophy is a byproduct of that. But also, um, and you kind of alluded to it, I take pride in killing the oldest because that animal didn't get old by being dumb. And you, you know, when exactly. You, yeah. It's a chess match, it's, yeah. and it's one of the most epic chess matches you'll ever play with any other opponent. Because, I mean, you're matching wits against an animal that has made it past bears, cougars, you name it, and it's still out yeah. there. Yep. Yep. And, and that being said, um, I think you know it's important to still not knock the the youngster or the person who, hey, if that's the only deer they saw all year, and it was a yearling oh, spike, absolutely. Um, you know. Hey, my first buck was just a little tiny forkhorn. That's all he was. And I was, I'm still proud of him. He's mounted in my living room to this day, mm -hmm. right next to my very first archery deer, which was a yearling doe. Well, so you said 150s are around every corner. What, uh, what is the biggest Pretty buck? Much. What's the biggest <laughs> buck you've shot up there? 
Um, I've got a 170. That's my biggest. Um, nice. I got him with my bow in 2013, and I spent two weeks straight pretty much living in my, my tree stand. So wow. uh, that was a, a really incredible hunt. He ended up being nine and a half years old, and he his teeth were worn right down to the gum line. And just what an incredible hunt. He was so That's heavy old, and old so buck. big. and. Yeah, it was it was pretty outstanding. He actually he made the cover of a couple magazines and uh, they did some articles on him. And so yeah, I'm super proud of that guy. And then to kick it off that I got him with my bow, that made it even more special. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, so what do you actually do for a living? I am a taxidermist. I've been doing it now for 17 years. Uh huh. Okay. Wow. And uh, and then there's something else on your Facebook about this mounted archery deal. What is that about? Well, I got bored one day and I was out shooting my bow and my horse came over and was watching because he was like, well, what are you doing? So I thought, hmm. So I went and sat on him and I thought, well, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? He's going to take off. So I shot my bow and he did nothing. (laughs) And I thought, hmm, well, let's add some speed to that. And next thing you know, I started galloping and hitting the target and thought, wow, this is really a lot of fun. Maybe I should see if anybody else would be interested in, in doing this. And Next thing you know, now I uh, I have a side business where I teach people how to shoot off their horses. And so is this more of like a, a novelty thing where you're shooting at targets? I mean, uh, obviously the Indians did this uh, for, you know, I guess basically since the Spanish brought horses over here. Um, oh, even earlier than that, we're talking about going back to Genghis Khan. This is going back thousands of years. Sure, sure. Well, so I mean, throughout human history, we've domesticated animals to use to pursue, to you know, pursue prey. Uh, horses Absolutely. are no exception. I don't know about uh, if people would frown on that in today's world. Probably the anti-hunters would be like, <laughs> they would I'm have sure a conniption would, fit. But, but that's actually that's one of my goals is I, I want to go out with my recurve and I want to shoot a deer off my horse. I think that uh, that would take the whole element of hunting back. So far in time, and that intrigues me. I really like the idea of of kind of time travel in in that sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've seen a video of some some guys, uh, some cowboys down here in Texas, um, roping feral hogs just out in an open field on their horse, and they just run them <laughs> down. Uh, it's pretty it's well, it's pretty intense. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that would be cool if you ever make that happen. I'd like to see a video or a photo of it. Um, Absolutely. Let's let's shift gears here, though, because I, I, someone tagged me on this Facebook post this week, and it was a picture of you in a Cabela's uh, pro staff shirt. I have the same shirt and was on the, the, the pro staff or field staff for Cabela's um, for quite a few years, and, and eventually I lost interest because um, there was a lot of good things. Like we were talking about the uh, spring into the – uh, great outdoors, and, and I was doing some turkey calling demonstrations over the years, um, introducing kids into turkey calling and, and getting them excited about that sport. I know you've done quite a, a bit of that. I think you were on the pro staff for three years, correct? Yes. Um, but we both had the same sentiment that it was difficult to deal with Cabela's. They didn't communicate very well. I eventually just lost interest and, and quit doing it. You, on the other hand, uh, I'm gonna let you talk about this because I, I read this. This you actually wrote this uh, this piece and posted on on Facebook, and for them to do what they did flies in the face uh, in the face of of everything that I th- I thought Cabela's stood for. You know, a lot of things changed in the merger, and I I foresaw that this was going to happen. It didn't seem like a very good thing that they were taken over by Bass Pro Shops. Yeah. 
and I was worried that, you know, Cabela's would lose its integrity, and, and there was a lot of changes that I saw that I really didn't like. Um, the communication broke down horribly. I mean, they went through uh, four different managers in corporate over the three years, and so, you know, I never knew terrible. who I was going to be talking to, and, and you know, trying to set up schedules, it was just uh, quite the show because nobody really knew what was going on. So and, and let's be clear, was, you nor I or anyone else that does these things Gets free stuff. Um, you get a little bit of a That's discount. That's a huge misconception. Yeah. I had people thinking I got all this free stuff. I never even got so much as a hat until I went down to Billings in 2017 to hunt antelope. Um, I was on my way down to Wyoming, and I said, what the heck? I'll stop in. I've got my jersey with me, so I'll just slip that on and, and go in and get some photos. And they treated me like a queen. They actually kept the store open an extra half hour after they closed just so I could shop. Wow. And I was so impressed with the guys at Billings that it, it just blew my mind. Everybody there was so incredibly nice. They gave me a big discount. And I was like, wow, this is what a, a pro staff is supposed to feel like. Whereas in my home store, um, they kind of treated me like a joke. And so I posted it on Facebook on my Cabela's pro staff page that, you know, wow, Billings is outstanding. I actually felt like family. And uh, so when I came back, everyone at the, the Cabela's in my hometown was pretty upset with me. And <laughs> at that point, the manager got very mad about that because apparently I, a corporate had seen it or whatnot, maybe said something to him. And at that point, I never gave another seminar at that store because of him. Um, mm -hmm. He sent me up to the north location, which is actually quite far away for me to drive to. And for the past year, I've been stuck up there. Nobody really comes to that outpost because it's a very small Cabela's. There's hardly, you know, I mean, there's quite a bit of stuff in there, but not like down at the south store. So it doesn't get the traffic. And again, and I went... Yeah, and again, oh, go ahead. there's very little in it for you other than this. For me, it was the satisfaction of trying to pass down the, my passion to, you know, these kids. And, I mean, the, my whole thing was the women. Um, I oh, love yeah. Women's Day. That, that's my thing is uh -huh. I want to inspire people to get out there, go try these things. And, I mean, I gave talks on ice fishing and um, international hunting, how to hunt bears and cook bears and like I, I would cover just about everything, and I, I really loved it. I had a really great time, but unfortunately, the the merger really started to eat into things, and that's when um, they were pretty late getting my contract to me for the, the next year, which was last year. And when I opened it up, I was pretty shocked because inside of it was something that was not ever in there before. And what it says word for word is do not post animal shots that are excessively bloody and inappropriate and or are exotic animals, including safari animals. Mm. I mean, and I get the excessively bloody track. thing, you know. I think we all should oh, strive I I, and, oh, absolutely. Like not my, to post. My trophy photos yeah. are, that's, that's part of my trophy are those photos. I can take those with me everywhere, and I'm proud to show them off. So, therefore, I make sure that, you know, the tongues aren't hanging out. I'm not straddling Oh, my animals. gosh. The, the you, so, you've been to South Africa... Or South Africa, I assume? South Africa and Namibia. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so just a little rundown. I've been to South Africa twice going back in the summer. Literally, after you shoot an animal, it's like a 30-minute cleanup process. 
This is their oh, advertising. Okay. This is our trophy photo yes, that we want to show our friends. Nobody wants to see yeah. bad photos. And those guys are trained to clean those animals up. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Carry a jug of water just for the purpose <laughs> yeah. of washing blood off. It was yeah. amazing. So, And, I mean, you know, the, the huge misconception on African hunting is, is that we're just over there to shoot the animals. And that's it. Well, that's not the case. You know, people think we just waste the meat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I watched women coming from kilometers away with uh, containers on their heads. And uh, the, the morning or the evening I shot my Elant, that was 2,200 pounds. Mm -hmm. And all these people showed up from a long ways away just to come and collect that meat. And they thanked me profusely. They shook my hand. And the sense of pride that it gave me to be able to give back to the village was, uh, that's one of my big draws of going to Africa is, is that. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I'll tell you this though, we, we still eat the stuff in camp, you know, I mean, I know you did as well. I mean, that's what, oh, absolutely, that's what yes. the safari outfit lives off of from the, yes. the staff to the hunters to the PHs. Um, and I'll tell you two of the best things I've eaten over there was smoked Eland, uh, Eland tongue and also, you know, oxtail uh, stew or soup they made Elan tail uh, stew. Oh was, wow! Oh my gosh, ph phenomenal! Oh yeah, my my yeah. favorite. They made me impala, and it was stuffed with brie cheese. Mm. And then zebra was absolutely outstanding. Oh, yeah. I had virtual zebra, and a, I I have horses and raise horses, <laughs> and a lot of people were like, "How can you go and shoot a zebra? It's a horse." And I'm like, "That's pretty much like calling a coyote a dog. It's right. not a dog. It's." You see a lot of people riding around on zebras. Yeah, exactly. I sure as hell haven't. Not a so, domestic animal. Yeah. So uh, people just, what they do is they, they glorify the same thing with cougar hunting. I mean, I've gotten ripped about hunting cougars, and people don't see it as an animal that is very destructive. They see it as a house cat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then, they, of course, they defend it. Um, I got a lot of backlash off of my cougar hunt because, of course, I posted very nice, tasteful photos. But all people see is, oh, you killed that beautiful cat. That's horrible. And I ate it, and it was when, delicious. So yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It tasted just like pork. So. <laughs> yeah, a, a <laughs> yeah, phenomenal table fare. Um, yes. So so back to this letter from Cabela's uh, corporate, and they actually told you do not post exotic or African trophy photos. Not once, but twice. Wow, I'd like to get a copy of that too. Um, just, I'd like to read it. This Not a is problem. Absolutely Not a problem. amazing. So, uh, the then their slogan, "World's Foremost Outfitter." I mean, that that's just flies in the face of everything I thought Cabela stood for. It does, and I mean, you know, Dick Cabela was huge on hunting Africa. That is, that was his dream. Is he built Cabela's off of Africa and. If you go into Cabela's right now and you go into their book section, Dick Cabela's book on hunting Zimbabwe is sitting on that shelf hmm. right now. I bet there's no photos of him posing with an animal he killed in that book, right? <laughs> I haven't seen a single. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, well, just this, but, just the hypocrisy. You know, they took down all of his photos, and and I mean, yeah, I do realize that it it was a merger. They they were bought out, and his legacy is is being torn apart now and i understand that it's all about money but i 
was under the impression I was representing a company that supported African hunting. And that is what I stand for. I, I am a very, very passionate person when it comes to Africa. And I will stand up for it. Uh, same thing when they had the Cecil going on. Um, I was on the news, I don't know, probably 15, 20 times explaining to people that, you know, yes, you do eat lions and it is a sustainable resource. And the money that goes into hunting that lion goes back into the communities. And still people just don't get it. Well, um, I'll sum it up like this. A, a good friend of ours was on the show a couple weeks ago, Corey Mason. He's been all over the world and hunted just about every species you can think of. And, and you know, he said, when you talk to someone like that, and, and generally I don't, I don't deal with them. If, if they are on the fence, you know, the, the non-hunter, you can have that conversation the irate anti-hunter, just forget about it, block them off your page, yeah, delete them from your life. Yeah, mind is so closed yeah, about African yeah. hunting that it's it's pointless to sit there and try to fight with them because they're dead set on their ideas and you won't change them. You won't. They they do not believe that it's conservation. No. And you you won't change their mind, which is horrible because I mean, you you see what happens to the rhino when they don't. Um, you know, you, you have to protect these animals and you do it through sustainable hunting and people just don't understand that. Well, you're killing the animal. No, we're taking out an animal that is too old to breed. And, you know, he is killing off his young. He's keeping the younger males from breeding the cows, even though he can no longer breed. So, I mean, there's, there's a place for it. Well, you know, going back to what he said, he said, you ask these people, do you like poaching? Of course, they're going to say no. And you say, well, what do you think funds anti-poaching efforts? It's hundreds of dollars. And then you say, do you like more animals or less animals? And, of course, they're going to say they like more animals. And you say, well, the fact that we go over there and pay money to hunt these animals keeps them, they have a value. And, of course, they're going to stay on the face of God's green earth if they have a value. If they don't have a value, who's going to protect them? Yes, if you don't put a value on that animal, that animal has no value and within a matter of decades, that animal is gone. There's no more. They're yep. done because they're valueless. Well, just look at Kenya. In the 1970s, the most wildlife oh, in Africa. Oh, Kenya is a, a huge yeah. example. Now they're 70 percent. They, they their hunting. Yeah, they've got they've got 30%. They've lost 70% of their wildlife because they outlawed hunting in the 70s. It is the classic example of how to not manage wildlife. Exactly. Uh, so we have that to look at. Uh, so you, in, in your Facebook post, said that you would not be renewing your contract uh, to, you know, for the, the long and short of it, and I obviously respect you for that. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I don't know, I don't know what the future is for Cabela's for a box store like that that has such. I honestly, I don't know what is what is happening. Um, there is an agenda here in Canada that. Um, I don't know if you watch the news much up here, but uh, they are letting in uh, millions of immigrants. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, while they're doing this, they are trying very hard to ban guns. Right now, they're pushing to ban anything that is semi-auto, including shotguns. Hmm. Oh, that's it's, it's pretty scary times up here, what's going on. You guys um, call them the greenies. Uh, we call them left-wing uh, yeah, radicals, well, it, you know. But, up, you know, up here, it's the, the NDP voters and the liberals. They're the ones who got the grizzly hunt banned? That's what got the grizzly hunt banned. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I think there was a lot of funding behind that through some of these large corporations. Wow. Well, I mean, you just it, we've already seen Dick's Sporting Goods go down this road, uh, not defending the Second Amendment. Now we see Cabela's 
not defending hunting. And, and the, the crazy thing is, is that these companies who depend on hunters' dollars to make a profit are turning their backs on the people that support them. And that doesn't make sense. It's a horrible business model. Uh, I can't say that um, that this is going to be a good thing for Cabela's because who the hell sh- who, who who it's not like Walmart, you know, where they have all these other no, products. Exactly. It's this these are the people who support your business and you are turning your backs on them and it just doesn't make any sense to me. I was shocked the, the when I read it. The part of it is is you've got all these businesses like this that are conglomerating. And then once they've got you know the market like we had so many local mom and pop stores go out of business in the past five years. It's disgusting. And so the only places that you can go are these big box stores. Now, once these big box stores have everything tied up, all they have to do is say, well, we're not carrying guns anymore. Now, where are you going to get them? Yeah, yeah. And well, that's, that's a scary thought. Maybe these mom and pop stores, maybe there is a future for them. I don't know. Maybe. I think there is. I think that you know more of these mom and pop stores should... You know, if we will support these guys and and give them our business, I think that is super important. If you can shop at these these smaller stores, it's, uh, it's so worth it. Well, I, I don't know how many people out there listening are not going to be shopping at Cabela's anymore, but I guarantee you, it will be some of them. And uh, I, I don't, I just, I'm going to have a hard time supporting them at this point. That's uh, that's that's flies in the face of everything that I believe and how I think a company that depends on hunters dollars should be conducting their business. So it's exactly, uh, well, you know what? I appreciate your time. You do have a, a Facebook group. If you want to plug that. Absolutely. It's called adventures in hunting with Jeanette Hall. And I put all my hunting photos and adventures and stories and recipes. And uh, it, I do have to keep it closed just because antis go in there and give me death threats <laughs> all the time. But uh, that and Russian hookers, I don't understand why they do that either. But uh, but yeah, you guys are welcome to check it out and uh, be more than happy to have you on. Damn those Russian hookers. I tell you what. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Jeanette, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. God bless. Happy New Year. And uh, let me know if Thank you do you you get and that mule deer on your uh, on your horse. Send me a photo. I want to see that. Will do. All right. Take care. Okay. Thanks. Take care. All right. There she goes. Alberta, by the way, of Tennessee, Hunter, Jeanette Hall. Uh, and we actually recorded that conversation earlier in the week. Since then, it has really become a corporate nightmare for Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops. And I don't know what to make of this, but Cabela's did release a statement saying that that was a Cabela's Canada policy only. To me, that sounds like crawfishing of epic proportions. It's Cabela's International. Why the hell would their Canadian policy be any different than their American policy? Because with social media, everything's out there anyway. So that, for me personally... Holds no water. I don't believe it one iota. I think that <laughs> they got caught failing to support hunters' rights and hunting, big game hunting in general, and now they are back pedaling as fast as possible. For me personally, where do I stand with Cabela's? Um, I think they were already on a downward trend. I mean, you don't even see great brands like First Light in the store at all anymore. Because all they want to do is sell Redhead or they want to push Cabela's brand gear on the consumer. So that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Is I want all the options available to me. Uh, and you can't get that <laughs> when you go into their stores anymore. So I'm 
going to just leave it at this. I'm not writing Cabela's completely off. I think they have work to do to improve their store, and they certainly need to improve their policy. We'll see what this merger does in the future. Uh, but one more strike like this, and, and that'll be it for me and Cabela's. That is for sure, which is a shame because uh, it's always it's it's been one of my favorite places to go. Uh, the kids love it. They love to see the fish, all the mounts. It truly is a destination for so many outdoorsmen and women, and, and I hope that it starts to shift back in the other direction. Uh, that segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by First Light, which you can only find at firstlight.com, by the way. If you haven't seen the new Catalyst system available for the first time this fall, and it was designed with the whitetail hunter and specifically bow hunter in mind, you need to do yourself a favor. It's what I've been wearing throughout the entire season. It's quiet. It is warm. It prevents the wind from cutting right through you on those frigid mornings in a tree stand, and you can find it along with all of First Light's great outdoor gear right there at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. We'll be right back with Dallas Safari Club Executive Director Corey Mason. We've got a lot to get into concerning the latest on British Columbia grizzly bears. Also, the new Conservation Advisory Board at Dallas Safari Club, the upcoming convention, and uh, Corey just shot a hell of a mule deer out in West Texas. I want to hear about that as well. We'll do it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I've got that old feeling you're leaving I'm so tired of goodbyes I can't wait on your love forever All right, waterfowl junkies, the finisher is the quick and humane way to dispatch a duck or goose. It's, uh, you know, it's unsettling when you've wrung that bird's neck, you throw it in the pile, and 10 minutes later he's laying there flopping. Uh -uh. We don't want that. That's not ethical. And so the finisher alleviates that. You stick the finisher in the back of the bird's skull at an upward angle. Give it a little twist. Boom. Dead instantly. Never felt the thing. The finisher is only 14 bucks. It fits on any waterfowling lanyard. And you can find it at adrenal-line.com. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. Welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Whitey Morgan, what am I supposed to do by request there for you? Hope y'all are having a great weekend. I know I certainly am. It is a pleasure to be here talking outdoors with you. Thanks to our longtime presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. We're all set to check in with longtime friend of the show going way back to his Texas Parks and Wildlife days. To his current position as the executive director of Dallas Safari Club, Corey Mason will be here in just a second. But first, this segment is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. 
the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd personally, and I do mean this uh, because I'm a proud member of DSC, but I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of people who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To check us out, head over to biggame.org. And uh, we'll see everybody next weekend at Magambo, the 2019 convention, which I'm sure we'll get into in great detail as uh, Corey Mason joins us right now. Corey, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Cable. Yes, all is well. Glad to be with you today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I was looking on the um, Dallas Safari Club Instagram page and noticed that you were actually out of town for Thanksgiving. You know, there's no rest for the weary when it comes to conservation. Uh, I know you would have you would have loved to have been able to spend that time with your family, but what were you doing in Africa at that time? Yeah, so uh, kind of the timing of uh, many of the the annual general meetings of the African Professional Hunter Associations occur around that Thanksgiving period. So I was in uh, South Africa and then Namibia for a mm. couple of weeks, uh, attending meetings there with our uh, conservation organizations and uh, professional hunting associations there. And some good stuff, I'm sure, came of that. Absolutely. Great conversations, really good partnerships, a lot of kind of vision casting looking forward and really a lot of ways to uh, consolidate resources, you know, and, and really just work on, uh, you know, many conservation strategies and really talk about the issues in front of us. And so uh, it, it's really invaluable face time uh, with these conservation partners we have around the world. And let me ask you this, as far as like CITES animals, um, you know, we, we know some of the major ones and I'm going to get to why I'm interested in talking about this, but uh, was anything, you know, concerning elephants, lions, uh, rhinos, leopards? Um, Cape buffalo really isn't, uh, for some reasons, not in the crosshairs like those other species. But were those brought up um, and seen as, you know, extreme importance? Yeah, absolutely, Cable. Right on. You know that that was one of the uh, the topics that continued woven throughout many conversations. You know is is really the recognition of, number one, the, the value of the hunter's dollars for uh, conservation in Africa. And in the absence of the hunter's dollars, their conservation simply doesn't take place. And so recognizing that many of those larger, more charismatic species, like you mentioned there, with lion and elephant, we'll use those as an example, and, and leopard as well to, to a great extent, uh, that are regulated species. And, and what the importation or the inability, I should say more specifically, to import those looks like, uh, and continuing to work with Fish and Wildlife Service uh, and those African countries specifically, uh, because now, you know, as a result of a, of a recent court ruling a little while back earlier last year, uh, that those import permits now, specifically if we look at like elephant uh, and then the countries that allow uh, importation for, uh, for lion, that those permits are on an individual by individual basis. They're no longer countrywide. And so what that means most specifically for this conversation is the fact that we need to work very closely with those, not only those countries, but also those operators of large concession units to make mm. sure that the needed information is there and provided so then those conservation dollars can continue to come via hunters. Well, and that's just so important because we can tell these people all day until we're blue in the face that, hey, conservation is only sustainable through hunting. Um, but we need the facts to back it up. So that's wonderful to hear that that's what you guys are trying to get from these outfitters in those large conservancy areas. Uh, and, and the reason why I was curious is because I shot a Bonta buck last, um, last summer in South Africa. And, Corey, I knew that it was a CITES animal, and, and it was a species that was brought back from the brink of extinction by hunters in South Africa. Uh, I think it's close proximity to, like, uh, Johannesburg, they're, I think it's the largest city in South Africa. 
is why this animal was ultimately almost exterminated because of you know they just killed it for meat. You got to feed all these people, um, but the hunters brought it back, and uh, you do have to get a permit to to shoot one. And I've been surprised by the fact that I can't get it back into the United States. Um, it is a very lengthy process, yeah. unfortunately, without someone there that's really moving that particular thing forward, such as organizations like DSC and or our partner, Conservation Force, John Jackson, that works tirelessly on these kind of issues, uh, they simply won't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't even realize that I couldn't get that one back because uh, I was under the impression that I could. And then I talked to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, permit, I guess the guy that issues all the permits, and he told me he hasn't issued a single one for Bontabuck in, or in 2018, he didn't issue a single one. So I don't know what's up or down on that, trying to get it sorted out, but... Uh, I just found it interesting that uh, we have this great conservation success story with that species, and there's still, uh, I think, just a lot of ignorance around that. So, anyway. Well, there is. It's unfortunate. There's federal process, but then there's also people that fail to acknowledge, even though it's been clearly demonstrated, uh, that, you know, through hunting, a species has never, uh, you know, been extirpated or even shown a decline, right? Right. Properly sustainable hunting, if there's a decline in a species because of various other intrinsic issues, habitat or disease or something like that, simply hunting either declines or ceases for a period of time. Uh, like you're saying, you know, this is a result of habitat changes and expanding human population in that region and bushmeat trade. That's simply it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk about one other thing. You sent me a, a photo, and just kind of shifting gears here, but... Uh, you sent me a photo of a monster mule deer you shot in Texas. I'm interested to know a little bit more about that hunt because uh, I've tried. I've tried to get a, a nice Texas muley and I failed miserably uh, in multiple uh, formats. So where did you shoot that guy? Yeah, so it was very, very fortunate. Uh, my, back up just a little bit in the conversation. My father and I have been hunting uh, mule deer since I was just a child out in the Permian Basin, which is where I'd was born and raised and where they still live out there. Uh, and uh, many people drive through that country and, and they overlook it. You know, what they see is some old production, certainly, and, and some mesquite and, and, uh, and dunes. Uh, but uh, that country can be extremely productive for, for good mule deer, you know, given really good management and a lot of, uh, and a lot of forethought. Uh, so we've hunted on one particular ranch out there for 16 years. Hmm. Uh, and we hunt, uh, you know, about a week every year. And I have taken some really nice deer and was... Yeah, I was really, really fortunate this year to to find a great buck out there, working of course with uh, with the folks out there, and and uh, got a great buck, a really nice deer, and uh, you know it was nice temps. It was in the 20s and 30s, so it was you really felt like you were deer hunting as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, well, I'm obviously going to ask you what did he uh, what did he score once you put the tape on him? Yeah, he's right at that uh, 190 mark. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, I've tried. Uh, I've gone through an outfitter out in West Texas in Hudspeth County out there around El Paso in the mountains. Failed. Then I leased. A, I had a little lease in Lubbock County, and that didn't produce. And I don't know. Through talking with Texas Parks and Wildlife, I think they're struggling a little bit with um, oh, that flat land in the Panhandle lends itself to poaching. I think, and uh, I know that that's been an issue because you can see these deer for miles and miles. You know, just they're out in the open feeding these ag fields, and um, people. I think non-hunters. Uh, take advantage of that, and you know it is what it is. But, well, uh, there, are, there are very different species to manage than whitetail. You know, they have a really large home range. Uh, they can they can very easily you can shoot the you know the top end of mature age class out, and so it takes a a lot of restraint uh, to, to really get deer to you know six and seven year old mule deer uh, to maturity, and and so 
you know, what lends itself to growing those bigger deer is, is the bigger country, you know, the southern panhandle and those big ranches out far west where those, you know, those landowners control tens of thousands and sometimes hundreds of thousands of acres. And so, you know, those deer cover lots of country and they can, they can pass on a really nice four- and five-year-old buck and get him to six or seven where they really get exceptionally large. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do want to applaud uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife for introducing the, the mule deer antler restrictions. Uh, and I don't remember how many counties it was this year, but this is the first time they've tried something like that with mule deer. So uh, I, I hope and I believe that we'll probably have a positive effect across the board like you know we've seen with our whitetail and the 13-inch uh, minimum inside spread. I think it absolutely will. It'll do some things biologically as well. It'll, you know, improve age ratios and then thus uh, fawning and all those sorts of things. So there, there's a lot of things, that, uh, a lot of benefits come from that whenever your your age ratios are proper. You know, when you have an adult class of deer instead of, uh, you know, like the result, like you mentioned for the whitetail issues that we had in the eastern portion of the state where, you know, most of the harvest was focused on two-and-a-half-year-old bucks. Now it's moving to three and four. And so uh, there's a lot of indirect uh, benefits biologically speaking as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What is your ideal uh, mule deer rifle? What's your setup as far as your caliber and bullet? Yeah, you know, I'm a big 300 Win Mag fan for, for lots of uh, what I'm going to call mid-sized to larger game, uh, and I really enjoy shooting those larger bullets out of it, the 200s and the 210-gram bullets. They fly well and they hit really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and three, you know, mule deer, a lot of times you're going to need to take a further shot than you would on most uh, southern folks' whitetail setups. You know, you're looking at 100, 200 yards max. Uh, so I don't know how far was this guy when you when you poked him. Yeah, he was just a little under 300 yards, so it was a nice, uh, good, clean shot uh, taken cleanly with one shot. Awesome. Well, hey, let's do this. Let's take a, a quick break. We've got a lot more to get into. So, are you cool to stick around? Sounds great. Perfect. And that segment of the show was brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forage Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today Up next, we're going to talk bears. Politics effect on wildlife conservation. Uh, the upcoming convention, and a whole lot more. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. you hear that lonesome wind blow? Tell me, baby, why you've been gone so long. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts just 30 minutes south of DFW. If you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, 
you need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Kentucky Bluebird Heard your song today When I try to touch you You fly away Kentucky Bluebird bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Love that tune there from Jake Bush. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for being here today. We are still visiting with Dallas Safari Club Executive Director, old pal, Corey Mason. Uh, but before we jump back into things here with Corey, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land, that is the one thing they ain't making any more of, my friends. They never will. But, hey, we all want our own slice of paradise. And if you're ready to take the next step, to make that plunge, to make your dream a reality, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. Whether that's for recreating, for hunting, fishing, uh, just to get the hell out of the big city, or maybe you want to run cattle. Whatever the case, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Well, let's go ahead and get back into today's conversation with DSC Executive Director Corey Mason. Uh, We certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, Corey. Glad to be with you. So uh, we alluded to before the break that we need to get into bears once again. Uh, they, for some reason, are always front and center, it seems, of over the last year or so anyway, and, and there's various reasons why. We've got the uh, moronic PC um, grizzly ban, and, and then we had, finally, the opportunity for folks to put in for a grizzly bear hunt in the lower 48 for the first time since the 70s. Um, you know, biologists, wildlife officials deemed these these bears in the the greater Yellowstone area recovered, and we had a hunt planned for Wyoming. Tags were issued, and then here comes some federal circuit uh, circuit court judge who kiboshed the whole deal. What is the? Let's start with that. What is the latest on the uh, the lower 48 hunt and and where it sits as of today? Yeah, well, unfortunately, you really kind of left us exactly where we are in the fact that uh, federal judge uh, Danny Christensen really shut down the complete jurisdiction of the uh, game and fish agencies, the state game and fish agencies, as well as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, despite the fact that all state and federal processes were followed. So what we saw is state and federal processes followed to recover a species, uh, all of those uh, boxes being checked, if you will, uh, and one judge single-handedly come in and said that... uh, that species is not recovered across its whole range, thus this was, you know, your logic was flawed and superseded that, canceled those hunts, and right now it's, it's essentially suspended is probably a fairly appropriate word. Uh-huh. I, I just don't understand, looking at it from a, a wildlife management perspective, how someone who has no skin in the game and no credibility to his name, or is it her? I don't even know. Dana could go either way, I guess. But, it's a man. Uh, yes, okay. Uh, but obviously no experience with wildlife management how are they how is our legal system even set up for that to occur it makes no sense to me whatsoever 
And so that, that's the great point is that our legal system is not really set up for that, uh, but yet this judge uh, took a, expanded his own capacity to be able to do that. You know, and, and your point, your other point is, is a really good one that I think people really need to know and understand is that, you know, the North American model of conservation, there's, there's a number of, of principal tenets, but nonetheless, nonetheless it is uh, without question the most successful model around, uh, around the world. Um, and one of the primary tenets of that is that, you know, these decisions be based on sound science, not politics or policy like this. Or feelings. Uh, and, and so what we see here is this judge that took it into his own hands to, to go down that route. And so, uh, again, superseding the fact of trained individuals at the state level and the federal level whose sole jobs are to recover wildlife species, do the needed wildlife inventory monitoring processes to recover these species. So everything about it was a complete success recovering these species from around 100 to in excess of 700 in a fairly short period of time, and it's a long-lived species, that's, that's a very notable, a very applaudable success. And yet he single-handedly superseded it and said, no, this because these, you know, this essentially just, you know, made-up reasons. And so now where we are is the fact that, uh, in fact, at the DSC convention coming up next week, we'll be gathering a number of stakeholders, organizations, conservation organizations, like-minded organizations, then and we're going to talk about this because this is a very precedent-setting thing, and, and uh, certainly in the United States, that, that has to be challenged. Our organizations have to come together. Our, our body of hunters and conservationists have to come together and challenge this because it's, uh, it's a travesty. It's a, it's a slap, to, slap in the face to sportsmen and a slap in the face to wildlife conservation in North America. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that begs the question, what now? I mean, do we have any recourse as sportsmen you know, through our organizations like DSC to – how, can we sue a, a judge of, of you know his stature? I have no idea what comes next. Yeah, so th- so there's a number of things, and we'll be doing some uh, strategizing in the following week. But uh, yeah, there are ways to work uh, with and through, and uh, and most probably around uh, through other elected officials mm-hmm. uh, to recognize the capacity again of those that are that on a daily basis receive a check uh, by the citizens as well as the you know of the of the United States to do this for a living, uh, in which he is not one of those those biologists and and technicians that, that make these kinds of decisions uh, to recover species. And so uh, we will be working with them, uh, and again, hopefully shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with a number of conservation organizations with one strong, united voice is that this cannot happen. Yeah. Uh, and this is why. And so we will be moving that forward in the not-so-distant future because we, we can't sit on the sidelines and let this one sit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 2019, and I think DSC has done a great job. We had the uh, We Hunt for Life campaign, which I think started, what, 2018? That's... That was uh, yes, last year, and DSC is being, uh, you know, more proactive. Not sitting on the sidelines. Not saying that DSC has really ever been on the sidelines, but we're really taking the game to the public. Um, and it's it's those people on the fence that they're not anti-hunters. They're just non-hunters. They think that you know hunting's probably okay. They don't do it. Um, but I think that the anti-hunters, as far as promoting their message are so aggressive and on the you know for a long time we've just kind of let them attack us and uh, DSC is a leader as far as you know changing uh, that scenario and and being more aggressive being on uh, on the front lines with um, you know advertising and, and propaganda and and I think it's a you know it's time that we stood up for ourselves well that's right and I think for the right reasons number one you know we've shown time and time again through decades uh, that you know the conservation through hunting hunters are too nice, Corey. You know that's the problem. We're just too nice, I think. Yeah, we're too nice. That's <laughs> right, exactly. We play with uh, with ethics and morals, and yeah. uh, the opposition does not do so. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, okay, so that's what's going on with uh, with the lower 48 situation. Also, uh, and you and I have talked about it in previous discussions, the the BC Grizzly ban. And I've I've uh, did that trapline trip with an outfitter who whose income, whose livelihood was impacted by that decision. And they had in their unit two grizzly tags that they were able to sell for, you know, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars a year. And these are guys who actually they're exhibitors at uh, at our convention, uh, Babine Guides Outfitters. And Jack told me he's like, you know, it's like taking uh, a year of college tuition from each one of my kids. It flies in the face of sound science once again. But the the reason why we want to talk about this right now is because um, I saw that. Somebody is an outfitter, I believe, is actually suing uh, British Columbia or uh, the, or the the party, the political party that's in place right now. I'm sure you're more versed on it than I am. Yeah, that's exactly right. So most recently, so uh, as of last week, a particular outfitter uh, filed suit uh, against the government uh, on behalf of all the other outfitters that have incurred, you know, loss, if you will, uh, to the government uh, and really challenging them on their decision, uh, recognizing the implications that uh, that the government has failed to acknowledge uh, and so that is we'll be headed to court uh, and uh, uh, there will be obviously a number of partners working with them as well and in fact uh, you know DSC has come alongside those those guide outfitters in BC uh, and in fact uh, at convention we will be uh, auctioning a grizzly hide uh, with benefits going back toward uh, to support that as well and there'll be some other information coming out uh, some additional information early next week as well on uh, uh, on really what is going on, what's happened on all of these bear issues in which DSC is trying to carry that message forward. But again, it's, it, it is the Green government that when they were elected, uh, this was one of the things they said was on their checklist, uh, and they have successfully done it. You know, they started off uh, essentially the first year by not shutting down the hunt, but saying that you could not remove hide from the animal, hide nor skull from the animal. You had to leave that in the field, uh, and then follow that the following year by just completely eliminating grizzly bear hunt in its entirety. And, and I, I I think the numbers are something like what is it fifteen thousand grizzlies in BC? Yeah, there's over ten thousand for sure, and it depends on what what number you use. But it's one of the healthiest grizzly populations in North America. I mean, it makes our our Greater Yellowstone number of seven hundred look you know it's paltry compared to fifteen thousand or or even if it's just ten thousand. But I do know hunters only were taking between three and four hundred of those mature boars every year, um, and uh, to to think that that is actually hurting. The population is, is once again just pure ignorance, and uh, I'm glad to I'm glad that somebody's standing up. This outfitter I, I don't know the name of the outfitter, but uh, obviously he's got the support of DSC and and every outfitter in BC and elsewhere. I mean because uh, it has a trickle down effect. They think if they can do it there, well hell you know we can do it in Wyoming, we can do it wherever. It is very precedent setting. You know we've seen all the way if we if we back the calendar up just a little bit. You know we've seen. Uh, you know, all the way back to polar bear, where polar bear populations are as strong or increasing as they have been for, for many, many decades. Uh, and in 2008, you know, when uh, Fish and Wildlife says you, says you can't, you know, import uh, grizzly, excuse me, polar bear hides, but you can, you know, you can harvest those animals. Hides can be taken all over the world. We fast forward to the greater Yellowstone issues, now to British Columbia. And then this last year we saw in New Jersey where the governor uh, – tried to prohibit bear hunting where he could. He wasn't successful because it, it superseded his jurisdiction, and so then he went ahead and still outlawed uh, black bear hunting on public land. Mm-hmm. So we see this theme of attack on bear hunting, and uh, for anyone that's asleep right now, they really need to realize this is the tip of the spear. You know, bear is the easy thing for anti-hunters to go after. It's bear, 
then it's wolf, then it's mountain lion, and then you just go down the list. So, so none of these species are, we should assume, or it's not going to affect my hunting. That's an absolute fallacy. Hunters need to really wake up, pay attention to what's going on, and really unite on these issues. And I'll take it a step further and say our, our home state, Texas, is, is extremely guilty of that because we have such uh, you know, great support for the Second Amendment here. It's a very pro-hunting state. And I've heard so many of our fellow Texas hunters say, oh, you know, I live in Texas. This isn't going to affect me. Why should I care about what's going on in uh, Maine or California or B.C. or Wyoming? Uh, but but <laughs> let me tell you, friends, once they uh, are successful somewhere, you know, it's greed. And they <laughs> their eyes get big and they think, well, maybe we can do this in Oklahoma or Texas or wherever else. The ideology of, hey, that doesn't affect me. I don't really care is... is your ignorance on on those hunters' parts, and I think that we all need to be better than that, and realize that it it can and will ultimately uh, have an effect on each one of us. That's exactly right. We we can uh, take nothing for granted. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the convention. We got Mogambo coming up next weekend at the K Bailey Hutchinson Center in downtown Dallas. It is going on Thursday through Sunday. I'll be out there every day. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year, Corey, and I am proud to be on the Exhibitor Welcome Committee. So one of the uh, volunteers who helped put on uh, this great event, and although my part is very small, it's a bunch of small parts put on by a, a, by a ton of people who are passionate about conservation that really, I believe, put on the greatest hunting conservation show uh, on the planet. You know, I agree. You know, I have the, the great privilege of traveling all over the world to, to attend meetings with conservation partners and hunting organizations, et cetera. And, you know, one of the things that's a very constant theme uh, that we hear back is, is really the, the respect and appreciation that all of these exhibitors and people that attend the, con, the, the uh, convention really have for, for DSC show. And much of it goes back to the point you just made, Cable, is that, you know, that the whole is made up of the sum of all the different parts, and all of those is this absolute army of people that volunteer uh, that's been – you know, a week there of their time. Many of them taking a week of vacation to come and help, to work everything from the parking lot to to move in, to appreciation, to coffee, to the whole thing fueled by volunteers. And it, you know, really the Texas hospitality that spills through the whole thing, and it really is a unique convention for people to attend. Uh, obviously, we have just a tremendous amount of energy going into the convention right now between all of the great conservation projects that have been going on, our new conservation advisory board, all these kind of things that are going on capacity around the world. So, Number one, it just brings all these outfitters and conservation organizations to DSE excited to be there. And so the attitude and the perspective is, is great to start off with, which, which obviously is a great place to be. But then we have, you know, we have lots of great seminars and we have lots of great different uh, seminars going on and, and people on the, the victory stage. Uh, but then we have exhibitors from all over the world, you know, that are bringing the newest products and and great expeditions, hunting, fishing, uh, and, and just sightseeing expeditions all over the world. Uh, I will be having lots of meetings associated with the convention as well, meeting with conservation partners as well, and really using it as an opportunity to, to bring new people into the conservation fold uh, and, and to partner in, in these issues like we're talking about, if it's bears or whatever else it is. And so, and then we also have, a, as always, a great lineup of, of uh, you know, banquets for those that want to attend those. And you know, and a reminder to everybody that, you know, this is DSC's primary fundraising event for the year. And so these funds that are generated here are, are those funds that are used around the world for all of the tremendous grant opportunities and grants that are funded out each year from habitat projects to, you know, uh, desert bighorn sheep restoration projects going on right now in Mexico to anti-poaching efforts around the world and, 
and uh, fights like in BC and all these kind of things. And so these dollars that are drain- generated here go to what's near and dear to all of us as hunters and conservationists. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you um, something Richard Cheatham told me recently was just an example of you know, where some of this money the DSC raises goes to is there's a lady in, I don't even remember what country in Africa, but she was having problems with, uh, I believe it was lions attacking her livestock and DSC funded a lighting system for her to, to kind of persuade the lions to, Hey, we don't really want to be here. This is annoying, you know? Um, and that's all, you know, that's all it was. And she didn't think that a pro hunting organization would take any interest in that. It's called the Tanzania, excuse me, Tanzania Illumination Project. And what's so neat about that is this is a lady that has developed these really small, like, strobe lights, uh, really kind of about the size of your hand, and they're solar-powered, uh, obviously because they're in the most remote of remote places, and they stick them on these bomas, which is a, like a, a very rural corral, if you will, made out of you know, sticks and various things like that, uh, and they bring their livestock in them at night, goats and cattle, because if not, you know, the leopards and lions and hyenas will eat them. Uh-huh. They bring them in there, and these, these lights create this, uh, uh, basically this disoriented effect and so those predators do not consume those uh, those livestock right there. And again, to your point, you know, her funding in the past was from some uh, what I'll call preservation groups, uh, and that funding kind of dried up. And so she came to DSC, and DSC said, "This is a wonderful project to reduce human wildlife conflict." And again, to many of these people, you know, they may have a herd of five or six goats, and that is literally all of their monetary wealth in their whole existence. Mm-hmm. And something happens to one of those goats. You know, they run the risk of literally doing without everything. Um, And this is what's so bad about it is when DSC said, yes, we will fund this at a high level, all of these other so-called interested conservation groups, they redacted or withdrew their funding because they did not want to fund a project with DSC. (laughs) So we said, that's fine. We solely funded the project and will do so for many, many years because it's a great project. And it really speaks to the heart of those people that, you know, really the – uh, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing that act like they really care about conservation. And their true motives are really easily seen when, when pushed a little bit. Any place in Africa and you're a, you're a rancher and you've got five goats or three cows and that's all you have, and a lion comes in and kills half of them in a night, a pride of lions, whatever, I don't blame that rancher for then poisoning the lion. You know, how can you? It's me or them. And ultimately, um, human life is more important than, than animal life. And uh, and I don't fault those people one iota. Well, that's right. That's their sole existence. And so when one of those, uh, this is the reality of it, um, if people want to acknowledge it or not, the reality of it is one of those goats is killed, and so the next thing that happens is that goat carcass is poisoned. Yep. Uh, and then every single thing that comes to eat off of it, from, from birds of prey to the smallest civets and honey badgers and everything else that eats it, just dies indiscriminately. Uh, and clearly, no one wants that. That's not in anyone's best benefit. So that if we can do things to avert that situation and that's what this very simple solution does uh it is a win-win for everybody the farmer maintains his livestock wildlife do not have to indiscriminately die for no reason associated with this uh and human and wildlife can continue to exist i mean it's exactly what we should be striving for but unfortunately some fail to acknowledge that yeah well so magambo january 17th through the 20th downtown dallas um truly a global celebration for hunting and conservation there's something for everybody i'll be out there all four days and uh another thing that we needed to touch on and you mentioned it there uh, a few minutes ago was the newly formed uh, conservation advisory board and uh, i wanted to let you talk a little bit about that 
Yeah, thanks for that. So we're super excited about this. You know, DSC, the board with its vision, really decided and, and really desired to have this uh, this board formed of international experts, conservationists, uh, to really help guide actions and really give direction uh, for me to work directly with, uh, to report back to the board, and really give direction associated with where do we need to be spending our efforts and time and energy. Uh, and we really have the who's who of the, the international conservation, uh, really, arena. Uh, and, and I'll just name off a few of these folks, starting with Jeff Crane, who's the uh, the president of the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, and obviously speaks truth at, at policymakers in Washington, D.C., that we partner with very closely. Uh, DSC is a, is a partner of theirs, and they us. Um, and so and then we have many international delegates as well, like uh, Khalil Karmavov. He's in Tajikistan and form just one of this absolutely classic example of community conservation conservancies. Uh, he serves as an IUCN rep for uh, portions of Asia as well. Uh, and so, again, a field-based wildlife biologist that has made a global impact. He was last year's Capstick Award winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, uh, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's uh, conservation director, Rob Keck, on there. He was a former director of the National Wild Turkey Federation, a biologist, Again, a global perspective on big issues, where we need to spend our time and energy. Shane Mahoney, many in the world know him, uh, high level within the IUCN, obviously runs conservation visions out of uh, out of Canada. We have representation. One of my favorite guests, Corey, I always tell Shane, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd like for him to just read a book of hunting stories and on record it for like a book on tape, <laughs> and then I'd like to listen to it and fall asleep every night. <laughs> yes, he is one of those people that when he starts speaking, he, he grabs your attention immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have European representation on here with Tomas, who's Director General of CIC. Ron Reagan, who's Executive Director of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, again, looking across North America at issues at the state conservation agency level as well. Uh, Deneen van der Westman-Heisen, who is Chair of many of the professional hunting associations and organizations in Africa. She's a female dangerous game PH herself. Uh, runs a uh, hunting uh, organization there, and or an outfit, I should say, in Namibia. Uh, so, I mean, it's just comprised of the, the who's who, if you will, of the conservation world. And we have our first meeting this next week uh, during convention. And so a very exciting opportunity for DSC to just make sure that where we are working is where we need to be working and really validating that around these experts uh, and bringing people together to really have a good common voice. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I encourage everybody to check out the convention. It is open to the public. Uh, we usually have, what, between forty-five and 50,000 folks show up? Correct. So we'll try to top that this year. K. Bailey Hutchinson's Convention Center, downtown Dallas. It's next Thursday through Sunday. And what are the uh, what are the show hours? You bet. So Thursday through Saturday, it's 9 a.m. to 5:30, and then Sunday it's 9 a.m. to 3 o'clock. And uh, you know it's $20 a day per person. Children under 12, active military are free. One of the things I always like to stress as well that it's a very family friendly event. There's something there for for all men, women, kids, all of them. And so uh, we really encourage the family aspect of it as well. We will see you out there, Corey. Thanks again. Always a pleasure. Thanks much, Cable. Always enjoy it. Dallas Safari Club Executive Director, our longtime pal, Corey Mason. Uh, truly always a treat visiting with him. Uh, Corey, just, you, wouldn't, you might not grasp the fact that he has a lifetime of experience in wildlife management coming from Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, now in the role of executive director at Dallas Safari Club. So our paths have crossed off and on for some nine-odd years now, and uh, I personally always enjoy visiting with Corey. That segment, by the way, was brought to you by John X Safaris. 
my good friends from South Africa, they'll have a booth at Magambo, by the way, booth 4130. So if you want to stop by, meet Carl, some of the other PHs from John X, this is your chance to do it. And then remember, our Lone Star Outdoor Show trip with John X is coming up June 7th through the 15th this summer. Still have two open spots if you want to jump on that thing. Uh, if you want to interview Carl personally, you know, you've been kind of intrigued by the possibility of hunting the dark continent, but you want to meet the outfitter himself, hey, here is your chance. Booth 4130. I'll be out there. I'm sure you can find me uh, throughout the weekend hanging out at the John X Safari's booth. So love to see you. Uh, unfortunately, we are flat out of time. Got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, Corey Mason and Jeanette Hall. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Here's a little Ryan Nelson taking us on home. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Yeah,